Raul Ross is a dynamic entrepreneur. Oh, and he used to be a rapper. Raul has a resolute focus. Stick to your niche, own your niche, own the market. It seems to have worked out extremely well for him. From having the car sales of the Philippines, Chicot, to being the original charity consultants on retail products, to now a fintech pioneer as Australia's largest transactional funder. Many businesses, whether they are growing or experiencing growing pains, ask, do I need equity to fund and grow? Rail has some great advice. Do it on a transactional basis rather than a facility basis. It's your money, so use it for growth. Rail is a dynamic entrepreneur and lively raconteur. He gives lots of advice for business growth and business founders, so enjoy our interview. Rail Ross, co-founder and director of Action Funding Group, Button, New Zealand Factoring Company, Australian Factoring Company, KSK Finance, Charities Group and Director Ramonda, 1-800-OPSHOP. Welcome to Discipline. Thank you, Tony. Uh, it's, uh, what an introduction. It's quite, it's quite an incredible number of uh, businesses. I feel like I've probably missed a few things. Um, how on earth have you found time to do a podcast? And I should say that you were 40 minutes late, oh, so oh, oh. <laughs> I think I know the answer. Yeah, um, I think it comes down to uh, I'll always commit and then I'll push off. <laughs> So let's start at the beginning. Um, you're obviously a hugely bright individual, having studied accounting at Monash University, qualified as a CPA. You've also done an REI course as a qualified agent. So if we wind back the clock even earlier, what did you want to be when you were a young boy? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll rewind it back, finishing up university at you know, 17, 18, before my gap year. I had two options. I'll either go into the construction game and do masters of construction or, you know, bachelor of construction to do the building game like a lot of the other guys did at that stage, or it was accounting because I was good with numbers. Yeah. I understood numbers. Um, and you, you did become an accountant. Well, you did an internship well, at Deloitte. Well, that's right. To cut a long story short, I got a, I got a, offered a full scholarship to Monash in yep. accounting, IBL. Yeah. I put construction to the side and I said, someone's going to pay me to study. And then they're going to give me a job at the end and they're going to give me three months paid work every year instead of three months of university as well. It's a no-brainer. No, as an 18-year-old. As an 18-year-old. Perfect plan. Perfect plan. Yep. So, um, so yes, yeah, so I did my CPA, did my accounting, um, finished up, didn't want to be an accountant, hated it. But you did it for a few years. I did it for a few years. Yeah, five know. years? Yeah, about five years. Yeah. Um, I always thought it would get better. Yeah. You know? But there was no sense of achievement. Okay. You always had another tax return. You always had another client. You couldn't see a process end to end because as soon as you finish one process, the next process started. So there was no satisfaction, no job satisfaction. And um, I was 21 and I'd finished up all my studying and I was traveling through America. I like to say backpacking, but let's be honest. Glamping. Between. Glamping. <laughs> well, um, it was the first week that the Lance Armstrong Live Strong bands came out, yep. the silicon wristbands. Yep. And I was traveling through America, and they sold a million bands for $1 in a week. Were they the yellow ones? They were the yellow ones, yep, correct. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. So I thought I was going back to Australia. My, my trip was over. I was going back the next week, and I thought, if there's any product in the world that you can sell a million of them in a week for a dollar each, clear a million dollars in one week, 
off a rubbish little silicon band. Yeah. This is the business to be in. Unbelievable. This is 21. So I came back a couple of days later. I met a partner of mine and I said to him, um, they've just sold a million of these rubbish bands in a week for a dollar each. We've got to do this in Australia. And he's like, I don't even know what it is. I said, that's it. Within a week, we were in China. We'd sourced with our manufacturers. We manufactured them. We brought them to Australia. For the first three years, any silicon wristband that came through Australia went through us. Right. And that's how we started. Amazing. So we were, you know, we were sort of the first charity consultant. This is in the early 2000s when people didn't even know what it was. People were running charities like charities instead of running charities like, like businesses. Business. Yeah. You know? And we were, I was like 21, 22, and we were dealing with the CEOs of like Comic Relief and the Heart Foundations and the Leukemias and, you know, all these companies. and. We were living the dream. I mean, we were selling these products. We were bringing them in for, you know, five, ten cents, selling them for two dollars. The charities were selling them for five dollars. Everyone was winning, and we thought, you know, this is the bee's knees. And then we thought, well, why are we selling two dollar products? We've got all these connections with all these charities. We should be selling fifty dollar products. Instead of making a dollar thirty a product, we should be making thirty dollars a product. And then we thought, well, if we're selling products for $30, we should be charging for our time because we're going and sourcing and manufacturing. And then we thought, well, if we're charging for our time and we're charging for the product, we should be charging a success fee because if the charity makes $100,000, $300,000 off our product and off our time, there's $300,000 more than we have, so we should be you know, winning altogether. So suddenly we found ourselves gone from this, this silicon wristband business that we were saturating the market and we did all the football clubs and charities, etc., to sort of upping the ante for different products. Now, I can't say which charities, but there was a certain charity that used to only tick food products. And when we came into them, we said, why are you ticking food products? You're cutting out half the market. You should be getting your products in Myers and David Jones, etc., etc. And if... And if you go into Myers and David Jones and you see this product with this charity concept behind it instead of going to the supermarket, you've doubled your, your customer base, you've doubled your exposure, et cetera, et cetera. So suddenly we took these charities that were thinking, this is how we do things because we've always done it, to sort of thinking outside the box. And when we started thinking outside the box, we realized now we have three revenue streams. So if we lost money on the product, we'd make money on our time and on the project. If we made money on the project and we lost on the time, we'd make money on the actual but, product. But itself. the charity always wins. The charity always wins. Terrific. So from our point of view, we'd, we'd take a cut on one and we'd take a cut on the other. But at the end of the day, the charity wins. We'd always win as yeah. well. So we ran that for probably five or six years in my early 20s. And I thought, you know, this is going amazing. No one's doing it. So basically that company sort of ran down. My partner left the company and... As you probably know, Tony, you're only as strong as your last deal, but you're only as strong as your partner as well. Yeah. Well, you've gone from your charitable business, as you said, that's wound down, um, and you've gone into a lot of financial services type businesses and also uh, a car sales of Asia. Now, Chicot? Chicot. Chicot Chicot.com, correct. Tell me about this one. So um, Chicot.com was an interesting sort of evolution. we didn't really have any exposure to the Philippines. It was a choice meeting, again, between myself and, and a partner of mine. I, I, I joined with a, with a techie um, who had sort of rolled out the initial stages of a car sales of the Philippines. And uh, we were sitting one day and he said, I have two options. 
I can either sort of go and buy out my competitor or we can sort of dump in a whole hell of a lot of money and try and market and take the market. And we said, let's go and buy out the competitor and let's grow this thing. So we, we invested heavily in the Philippines over the last probably three to four years. We've now probably the, the second largest player in the Philippines. We're the largest forum player in the Philippines. Yep. We have the largest, uh, most active automotive forum in the Philippines. We have probably the second largest um, used car online platform in the Philippines and the new car market's just starting to pick up as well. What we didn't know is that, you know, the Philippines market is a very different market to the Australian market. The Philippines market is probably 10 years behind Australia with everything, with adoption of technology, etc. So we can see the long run. We can see within 10 years the Philippines market will be like the car sales of Australia. But it's not there yet. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a massive risk raising this uh, significant amount of capital you had to to buy out the competitor. Um, you know, what made you think you could take this risk and tackle the market? Balls. Yeah. You know, um, I don't want to use the word um, stupidity because, you know, I mean, this was probably four or five years ago when we started this journey in the Philippines. And um, it's a very different market, the Philippines. It's very... It's a very um, antiquated market and the, the adoption that's just happening now so we thought you know this is this is going to kill it and we have i mean we've built the platform from nothing to the second largest player in the automotive online category we've built it to the largest forum i mean the the technology is second to none we've invested hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of thousands you know yearly into this technology and we haven't raised an outside cent right everything's been internally funded yeah. so out of interest, I mean, how many cars does that turn over in a, in a month? Yeah, so, um, so Chikot, we have, um, we have many millions of, of unique visitors a month. Um, we have millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of forum posts, active forum posts. Um, we have, you know, we've, we've been approached by car companies, um, you know, new sports cars coming out, you know, um, the Manila Auto Show. I mean, you name it. We've sort of created this um, this cult following, if you if you like, around the Chicot brand. Um, and I'll and I'll sort of fast forward and say we've we've recently put the the, the business up for sale. If anyone's interested in, <laughs> in, in the Philippines or whatnot, um, and that look, the business is going great. We love it. It's a strong business. It's a solid business. Um, the business is generating revenue. But our other businesses locally, of myself and my partner, are they're um, going in leaps and bounds. Let's let's jump into that. Good segue. Um, KSK Finance is one of your businesses. You're giving, as you've mentioned before, other means of funding to businesses, um, and you're also buying into businesses, presumably Correct. taking equity positions. When when people do come to you, what are you looking for? Yeah, we're looking for bullshit. <laughs> You know, to, to, to put it bluntly, and I know that sounds crass, but there's that much bullshit out there that, you know, people come to you and say, this is what's going to happen. This is the bee's knees. And you'll just sort of look through them and say, that's bullshit, <laughs> you know? And that's when we know, you know, like we've had, we had a guy come to us last week and he said something like, oh, I'm rolling out this and this and it's going to, you know, I'm going to do 100 million in the first six months. 
And we've built up the business that we're doing now, the finance business, Action Funding Group, over the, probably the last five years. We started with myself and my partner with two handfuls of clients in an office in Caulfield. Today we're national, we're in New Zealand, uh, we have a fintech coming up, we're the largest transactional funder. Um, we know what it takes to get there. Yes. You know, for someone to turn around and say, I'm going to start next week and I'm going to do 100 million in six months. Good luck to you. I'm calling bullshit. Yeah, I'm you know, saying good luck to you. So what do I look for? I look for bullshit. You know, I look for, I look for realism. I look for genuine numbers, humble and niches. Yeah. We're big believers in sticking to our niche. Yeah. You know, what we do predominantly is, is invoice finance and supply finance. Yes. Yeah. And we're the only ones in Australia that do that sort of end-to-end product. Yeah. And we talked about this just before offline, um, Peter Thiel's Zero to One. If you haven't read the book, it's a, a seminal book. I might have mentioned it before. But dominate a niche within uh, any particular arena and then you can branch out. It's very difficult as a startup to go and tackle everything wholesale day one. Correct. Find the niche within financing, for example. You're tackling... Um, panel beaters and auto shops, Correct. and then you can branch it Correct. out from So there. that's exactly how we started, and that's a good segue. So when we started in probably 2015, we, um, when we started in 2015, we had a hand, uh, two handfuls of clients, predominantly panel shops, being automotive factoring, and uh, real estate advance commissions. Cut a long story short, we then, we then went and bought the Bendigo and Adelaide Banks factoring book. We bought a second largest competitor. We bought the third largest competitor. Um, so that sort of gave us some gravitas in the market. And again, we, have, we, did it, we never gave up equity. We took on loans. We borrowed a hell of a lot of money to execute what we needed to execute. And we took a lot of risk and our balls were on the line. And, you know, if, you know there were many sleepless nights. I was going to ask, how many sleepless you know, nights? Well, I, uh, for those of you that don't, again, that aren't on camera, I don't have any hair. You know, we, we, I, mean, I mean, that's another thing that, that we, we like to talk about. But what I think people don't really mention, and people, it's really an unwritten rule in this business, is that people don't mention mental health enough. They really don't. You know, and, you know there's this whole persona about being macho and... Now it's slowly coming out, sort of the CEOs of the world are sort of, you know, you know, talking about mental health, etc. But because any startup will go, any startup that's really startup that's taken on debt, that's really, you know, living day to day and hand to hand, mouth to mouth. Very stressful. Very stressful. Yeah. You know, it takes its toll on family and work and life, you know. So people talk about like sort of cocaine's an addiction and sugar's an addiction. But I find that, that for me... Fortunately or unfortunately, probably unfortunately, the work is an addiction. I find it very hard to switch off. And I know I have sort of multiple businesses going on at one time. And, you know, have I overextended myself? Possibly. Yeah. You know, I mean, takes again, it takes a a, a strong position to say, yeah, you know, I've got a lot of businesses going on. I've got a lot of companies going on. Yeah. We've got a lot of transactions going on. But the fact is that sort of that first step that if you can admit it and be sort of bold enough to say, yeah. You know, maybe maybe I'm sort of need to take a step back, which is sort of our our. It's very difficult to do when you've got uh, a book or two books that you've bought from two different banks. Correct. Taken on a lot of debt. I mean, how you know, it's very hard to step back for you. Correct. Well, that, that's in that situation. Exactly right. Look, that's why we we, we decided to put uh, Chicot.com, the Philippines cars, on on the market, just because we couldn't do everything to the 100% that we wanted to do it. And there's no point doing 10 things at 10% if 
I'd rather do one or two things at 50-50 or 100%, yeah. or even one at 100%. Now, you've, you've, with these businesses, you said that that focus on crash repair, panel beaters, and real estate commission advances was already set in place for you? It was, it was minimal. It was minimal. I mean, like I said, we had you know, a handful of clients in the real estate sector. We had a couple of handfuls of clients in the panel shop sector, and that was our base. That's where we really started from, and we knew that base well. We understood the base. We understood how the money turns. We understood where the money comes in. It's all about the turn in any finance business, any finance game. It's about money in and money out. You, you, anyone can put money out the door. It's about getting it back in and how long. <laughs> yes. You know, like we're, there's sort of like the afterpayers of the world and the zips of the world. You look at them, you say, all right, they're doing you billions upon billions. And then you say, well, what's the other side? Are billions and billions coming in? And, you know, in, in many cases they are, but in many other cases they're not. Is this an easier play to be in when you've got the economic backdrop of the RBA having its cash rate at 1.5%? It's a very interesting question you asked, Tony. And we don't care whether the, the RBA rate's at zero because we live in an ecosystem where people's access to cash Drives their business. Drive their business. Yeah, right. It's the cash flow that drives their business. The RBA dropping the rates from 1% to 0.5% won't affect Bob's widget factory in Bandura who's selling widgets to Bunnings. He needs to go and he needs to buy a container of widgets to sell into Bunnings. And that container might be on the water for two months and then he's waiting at Bunnings for three months. Yep. And suddenly his money's out the door for six months. Yep. How's he paying his bills? Yep. He needs cash flow. Yep. Any business needs yep. cash flow. Cash is the lifeblood. You know, he's not calling up his bank and saying, well, the RBA's just dropped their rate half a, half a percent. Can you fund my container? Yeah. They're like, no, where's your house? Yeah. Well, I don't have a house. Well, I'm not going to fund you. So presumably, though, um, the insurance companies play a part in this ecosystem as well where they're slow to pay out on claims and that gives you an opportunity? Look, in, in a, from our point of view, what we've said where we stick to niches, so now we're Australia's largest automotive funder hands down, or um, Australia's largest end-to-end funder, hands down, end-to-end meaning on a supply and a receivable, so any transactional business. So our niche now, what we've, what we've sort of not created but morphed into is Australia's largest transactional funder. And I want to keep repeating that because no one does what we do. Any of the banks or any of our, not even competitors, because they're not competitors because they don't do what we do, but any other financier out there will say, Here's half a million dollars. You have a facility. You can go up and down, et cetera, et cetera. But as soon as you hit half a million, you're dead in the water. Because if you win a new contract and you have a half a million dollar facility, how are you going to find your new contract? Yeah. You're out of the water. You can't, you can't grow. Where our point of view is like, that doesn't make sense from a transactional point of view. If you're running a business, you're, you're going transactions, transactions in, transactions, transactions out. out. Exactly. So from our point of view, we'll say, we'll fund your in transactions and then we'll fund your out transactions. We don't care about facilities. You can't grow a business yep. on a facility. You yep. can't run a business on a facility. It makes perfect sense. And that's where it comes back to my other point I said previously is people think they need to raise equity. If you're running a business, and most businesses are transactional, you come to the likes of Action Funding Group, plug, plug, of the world and say, well, you know, this is the, this is the product I'm selling. This is my client base. How can I fund it and get my money up front so I can pay my wages and pay my BDMs yep. and pay my yep. rents, et cetera, et cetera. You don't need equity for that. If you're cash flow funded properly, you don't need equity. Equity will only be to sort of, I need, I need a half million dollars equity to put into marketing. Well, if I give you your money up front today, less a couple percent, go and put the money in marketing. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. Yeah. You, you don't need equity. You can turn that marketing dollars into uh, 
spiral it up into Correct. more money. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's well, exactly that makes right. sense. But, but debt factoring, I mean, from my experience, was always a very difficult thing to do. It was quite convoluted. Um, have you simplified the, the whole process for yeah. people? It's, from our point of view, we don't, look, we don't do any advertising. Yeah. You know, we're all word of mouth. Yeah. We've grown to this position strictly because our clients refer us clients. Our brokers refers us a lot of work. Yep. And and we look after everyone. We've never lost a client. We've never lost an employee in ten years. That's a great record. Um there's been there's been clients that have left to realise that they think the grass is greener, only to come back a week later and then we just double their rate. So <laughs> <laughs> don't leave. We know that we we know that what we offer, no one else offers. Um, no lock-in contracts, no minimums, no maximums, fixed fee per transaction, no monthly fees, no line fees, nothing. So you know exactly what you're up for. Any business wants to know exactly what they're paying. If I went to you and said, what's your bank charging you? You wouldn't have a clue because what's their interest rate? $20.31. And what's their monthly fee? And what's their, is it five bucks a month or $10? No one knows. knows. What we say is you'll know exactly what you're costing. Yeah. You know exactly what you're paying. You do a $100,000 transaction, it's going to cost you 100000 plus X. And that is it. Well, I love your single-mindedness about this because I remember, again, we, we touched on this offline. Years ago, we, we were at a lunch. I was sat next to you and you talked about this vision that you had. You'd identified this niche and this gap, uh, albeit I think it was more the broader factoring mm. market than Correct. a particular niche within it. And you were certain that that was the, the path you were going to take. Uh, you've taken it and obviously you've, you've had a great degree of success. I mean, go back to that time. How did mm. you know that that was the opportunity? How did, you, yeah. how did you intuitively know that was what you were going to go after? We think what we found now is that people don't listen. People like to talk and people like to think that they know everything. And what we did early on in the piece, probably three years ago, is we, we listened. We listened to other customers. We listened to competitors, what they were doing. We listened to the market. And everyone had the same rigmarole over and over again. I don't know what I'm paying. Why are they locking me in? I don't need it anymore. I have a three-month break fee, and et cetera, et cetera. And you can't run a business like that. You need flexibility in a yeah. business. You're either growing or you're detracting or you're retracting or things change, your family changes, et cetera, et cetera. As soon as you're locked in, you can't move, you can't yeah. maneuver. Yeah. So we listened to the market and we said, people don't want lock-ins. There was, it was also the time when everyone was coming up month-to-month phone bills. Now, why are they doing month-to-month phone bills? Because people don't want to be locked in. So we said, well, bugger them. You don't want to be locked in. We're don't gonna, be locked in. Don't be locked in. Yeah. For our, from our point of view, it doesn't matter. As long as money goes in and as long as money comes out, it's a good business model. Doesn't that mean from your perspective, though, there's a lot more overhead in looking at each transaction and looking at the risk factors for each? Or do you get a, you get a view it, on that yeah, pretty exactly quickly? Yeah, op- exactly the opposite. It's a much simplified process. In today's market, a majority of the sort of the financiers will look through your bank statements. They'll look through your history. They'll look through your financials, et cetera, et cetera. From our point of view, if you're running a business, it doesn't really matter whether you're making money or you're losing money. You don't like to lose money, but you rather make money. But from our point of view, if we're funding you based on your transactions and your your people you're selling to are legitimate buyers, that are legitimate customers, they're going to pay you. I don't care whether you're making $100 or you're making $1,000 because my risk is your counterparty. People haven't, again, adopted that mentality that, you know, 
It's going to take me three months to get you across the line because I need to look at your three-month trading history and put it to credit, etc., etc. We turn around in a day, less than 24 hours. We've got we funded you know millions of dollars. We get a call at nine o'clock. They'll have millions of dollars in their bank account by four o'clock, literally. And it's because you're looking at the counterparties involved in the transaction. That's why we say we're transactional funders. We're not business lenders. We don't give facilities. If you want a facility, try go to Westpac and. So keep stay in line for three years. Well, you yeah, I would say don't go to Westpac. You will be wasting your time. You would the ab- banks absolutely. We have a joke internally that you know as long as the banks are bastards, we'll be in business. Well, I think also the banks have moved away from their traditional markets of small business lending and focus just more on housing lending and top end of town commercial lending and construction lending. And this has opened the way for more and more players, flexible players, to come in. You've talked about the afterpays. You've got a whole fintech coming up, taking all of the bank's traditional markets, and yours is a very big sector. Correct. Look, we, we always say as well that the banks go through cycles. So at the moment, post the Royal Commission, etc., the banks have really pulled away from this sort of funding. But there'll come a time when their shareholders will demand that their profits dictate what they do. So if their profits are sort of dropping off because the house and land packages aren't selling anymore, where are they going to get their money? They're going to go back to small business lending. So it's possible that uh, Adelaide Bank and Bendigo Bank come back knocking on your door. So we'd like to get our books back. Or, or we, or we go back the opposite way and we'll say to the sort of the, you know, the other sort of regional banks or something and say, you know, this is what we're offering. Let's we can be your partner. Correct. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, the other thing you reminded me of in talking about how bad the uh, the client or customer experience was again opportunities exist for entrepreneurs where customers are either gouged or underserviced and in this case it was probably a bit of both correct so but why not now you know you've got a lot of this uh, funding happening you've got a lot of throughput why not go and uh, start providing other you know fintech solutions or are you solely focused on continual uh, transactional funding yeah um we're big believers, and we've always done it, to stick to your niche, stick to the knitting. Um, we've been offered and been asked many times, come and do business lending. You have a massive client base, leverage off it. Come and do equipment finance. You've got a ma- massive base. That's not our game. Our game is supply chain finance and invoice finance. Yep. And it's a $60 billion industry in Australia alone. Yeah. You know, we want to take a nice percentage of it and we'll get there. You know, we, we, do, we do things judiciously. We've got a very low PR profile. Um, you don't leverage the media. You say you don't have a lot of, uh, you know, sales staff or outbound. How does that work for you? Yeah. Look, it's, it, it's an interesting point, actually. And people have said that to me as well, that, you know, why, you know, why, you know, why do you find yourself under the radar? You know, you've got a good story to sell, which is this is sort of the first foray you know and, and i'll go back to my early days i used well, thank, to thank you for being on, <laughs> on discipline thank you thank you for uh thank you for the invitation tony i used to do a lot around you know sort of tv and you know being in the limelight a lot you know it also takes its toll but once i sort of started the business sort of mindset from the initial days of, of the silicon wristbands you know we enjoyed the buzz the buzz of getting out and the buzz of, you know, successful business. And I think there's a disconnect between people. You see people on sort of LinkedIn and social media and say, oh, look at that guy, he's so successful. And, yes. you know, he's driving a Lamborghini. 
I mean, we've had clients that we've been out to, they have Ferraris and Lamborghinis out the front and they're living hand to mouth and they're going yep. broke and they're the worst clients. We have, again, we have an internal joke that if, 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 if we get a client and we see him rock up in a Ferrari, we won't take him. Yeah, I know plenty of people you that know? will not go near that. Yeah, because we know that, you know, he's, he's either leased to his help and even, well, even massive companies need funding. Even massive companies need cash flow funding. And a, and a prime example is when a couple of my mates I said to them, oh, do you know, you know, X over there? And, oh, he's, he's got a massive business. He doesn't need you. And then I went and called him and I said, oh, do you need funding? He's like, yeah, I'm funded by this bank and this bank and this bank. Everyone is funded unless you're sitting on pools and pools and pools yeah. of cash. Everyone is funded, no matter, you know, from the guy around the corner, the milk bar to the, yep. you know, to the BHPs of the world. We're all leveraged somewhere. Everyone's leveraged somewhere sort of thing. So from a PR point of view, going back to that point of view, that, if I'm on social media and I'm on LinkedIn and I'm putting out these videos, et cetera, et cetera, am I pushing myself or am I pushing the brand or am I pushing, like, what, what's, what's the point? What's the point? Yeah. Sort of thing, you know? Um, but I think if you're, you know, you know, you're getting to a stage with this business where you're probably looking at, uh, you know, trade sale options or acquisitions or even, you know, a listing type play, these are always things that are correct. going through founders' mind. To have a profile to be known as someone with a, a very successful growing business and the, the biggest transactional funder in Australia, these are very good tools in your armory that maybe you're not Correct. utilizing for those purposes Correct. yet. Also true, Tony. Look, I remember a couple of years ago when we um when we had a good run with the Philippines car company, uh Chicot.com. Um the Finn did a, a nice spread with photo and everything yeah. with and um we got a lot of good feedback off it, you know, and afterwards my partner came to me and said, you know what, I want to be under the radar. Um, my partner was Brazilian, he's, still, he's Brazilian, and he said in Brazil, the mentality is very different. In Brazil, the mentality, and I think things back then it was because of the crime, you don't want to be known as the successful guy because you've become a kidnapping target. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, and it's not so much in Australia, but that mentality sort of, sort of stuck with me. Yep. You know, and, you know, you see sort of the... Well, know, I think in Australia you want to keep a little bit beneath the radar because you can put a target on your back. Uh, there is a bit of tall poppy syndrome here. Correct, correct. But I think there's also... It's also be useful in business to have uh, people know that you're um, competent and you're out there and someone worthwhile doing business with. I think that's True. the other side of the Correct. Group. Look, you know, like I said, to date we've a lot of our... To date, a lot of our um, referrals have been from internal, and now we're starting to get a bit more. Let's um, let's talk about some of the business aspects. Uh, yeah. You've started a lot of businesses. In your view, what's the secret to getting up and running quick? Good question. Um, the secret to getting up and running quick, I think it sort of comes back to um, you've got to do it yourself. You know, like if you don't do it, no one else will do it. Yep. And whether you take out the rubbish or whether you do the vacuuming or whether you sit there and put together chairs for the boardroom, you know. We, we recently did a bit of a reno in the office and um, so one of my guys came to me and said, why don't you just get movers to do it? I said, why should I get a mover to do it? I'm here. They're like, oh, you'll save yourself, you know, two hours of your time and you know, a couple of hundred bucks. And I said, well, for a couple of hundred bucks and two hours of my time, I'd rather take my time and work out exactly where it's going to be placed and yep. how it's going to do. If, so, if there are moves in the office on the clock, you're going to be, all right, just put it there, put it there, and then it's wrong anyway. Yeah. So if you're going to rush through, you're going to be wrong. So don't rush it, but don't build the best 
best whiz bang thing, especially yep. if you're playing tech. Yeah, we made that mistake also a long time ago. We thought we need to build the best whiz bang tech out there, yep. and then go to market. Yeah, and we did. We we invested half a million dollars in a product. Yep, built the best thing out there. Week before we launched it, Facebook brought it out. Yeah. Two years lost, half a million dollars down the drain. Too slow. And and actually, it reminds me of something Zuckerberg said many years ago when it came to building tech. I think it was something along the lines of, better to be out in the market and 40% wrong than 100% right and still in development. Correct. Or something like that. And and that's exactly right. You know, speed to market. That's what it is. Get to market. Yeah. What about staff? I mean, you said you've had staff for you know a decade and you've got a very high retention rate what do you look for in people yeah we uh we come in i guess with the mindset of you can do what you want as long as you do it sort of thing so we very very rarely micromanage these days we used to micromanage a lot but then we found that we need to be on top of everything and we need to know everything but we don't need to do everything that's the difference so now we have a sort of, you know, our girls in the office and our guys in the office and our, and our team, we have a team in Sydney and Brisbane, oh, Queensland as well. And the um, Philippines. And the Philippines. And we have in um, New Zealand. New Zealand as well. So we've, we've really grown from a two-man, sh- two-man show in, in Caulfield. And what we look for is just that, that flexibility. So, you know, we'll get a call. And we did. We got a call yesterday from one of our, one of our staff. And she's like, oh, my niece is not well. We're like, fine, just take off the week. We're not going to dock your pay. We're not going to give you annual leave or stick leave or personal. We don't care. You know, everyone's a part of a team and family first. You know, no matter what happens, family first. Sort yeah. Of thing. So, and it'll work both ways. Yeah. You'll get what you want. You're treated well. And uh, I, I'm also thankful, like I said, it's very important for me as well that, you know, the part, you, you work with a good partner. And the partner I have now, Walter Rappaport, if he's listening, um, very good partner. You know, he, we, we joke in the office that, um, you know, I'm old enough to be his grandson, you know. <laughs> um, look, he's, 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 a, he's nearly double my age, but we get on like... There must be a fantastic him. dynamic to it, have. It's a very, yeah, it's... It, that it, level of experience on tap to be able to tap into. It's a, it, look, it's a very, very interesting dynamic and very different. Um, not many, you know, people always sort of look at us in a meeting and they're like, you know, they'll talk to him, is it like, who's the boss or is this your son or something? Well, no, we're 50-50. Everything we do, all we always go into is 50-50. We've had many opportunities and people have knocked on our doors and public companies have tried to take us out and private equity. I'm cetera, sure it'll keep happening. Well, we hope so. We yeah. hope so. I mean, we, we, we know what we're doing. We, we know we're doing it right. And, and I think for listeners, it comes back to one thing. If you create and focus on value for customers, service them well, look after them without worrying about the exit or the end game. Correct. And people always come and look at companies that create value because with value comes good cash flow, good returns, good money. If you start with the end game, I'm going to do this business three years later, we'll build a tech platform and exit. I mean, that is the wrong way to build a business. We always say, we always ask, what's your five-year plan? What's your exit plan? What's your strategy? And we always say, we're taking one day at a time. Because we know that between today and tomorrow, something massive could happen. Something drastic could happen that could change the game again. And we've had it. We've woken up one morning and said, that's the bee's knees. That's going to change the game. That's how the fintech started. And, um, you know, literally, I had a chance meeting with someone and we agreed on something and I walked out the door and I turned around and I said, actually, hold on. What if we do something this way? And he's like, it's never been done before. I said, I'm going to build it and we're going to roll it out together. And that's how we started the fintech. Yeah, right. 
and it will change the game. We have no doubt about yeah. it. So the so the good the good insight to take out of that is um, you've got to, as a good startup you've got to be flexible to be able to pivot Correct. and be dynamic. Continue to add value to your customers, but if you, I suppose, rusted onto a particular direction, then you may miss opportunities or uh, not move to deal with threats as Correct. well. Look, we've we've we're big believers, and I've said it, and I'll say it again: stick to your niche. If you stick to your niche and you own your niche, you will own the market. Yeah. Now, other competitors will try to come in and do variations of your niche, but you will own your niche. It, it happens also. A lot of our clients are very sticky, so they'll get knocks on their doors from competitors and people promising the world and offering nothing. And they'll call us up and they'll say, "Oh, I had Bob Brown here the other day, and he's trying to undercut you, but I'm loyal to you guys. You know, I've done everything you've said, and I love you guys." And I told you the example of one guy that left, you know, and he came back and he said, "Oh, you know, the other guys, they, they screwed me over." I said, "Well, how much did it cost you? Uh, Five thousand application fee." I was like, "So you're down like five grand." He said, "Yeah," and I said, "Well, what about the the gap in your funding now that because you haven't you haven't funded for like six weeks? Oh, I'm down, you know, seventy grand. I'm like, so you went away to try and get a better deal when you were ve- and you knew that the deal was good, but you thought the grass was greener. But now you're five grand behind the eight ball. Now you're seventy thousand dollars behind your funding line. You're really up the creek." He's like, "You're right. You're right." Like he had no he had no yeah he had no excuse. Yeah, he knew I was right. And now he knew it was wrong. He knew that the best option that you're there is usually the one you're in. Dominate your dominate, niche. Dominate. Dominate your niche. Exactly right. Now we're going to get on to uh, more of the levity mm. of this. Um, the quick fire round. Let's go. Rock and roll. Who is your favourite comedian? Jackie Mason. Uh, I know you love basketball. Uh, favourite basketballer? Andrew Gaze. Uh, Asian entrepreneur you admire? Asian entrepreneur. Actually, I'll tell you, and I'll tell you a story if I may. I know it's quick fire around, but I'll tell you a good story. No, go for it. How we started initially in the Philippines. So um, we went to the Asian Financial Forum in Hong Kong a couple of years ago, myself and my partner in, in Chicot.com in the Philippines. And it just so happened that on the speaking circuit was a gentleman by the name of Ayala. You can Google him. He's massive. He owns everything, Ayala Roads and telecommunications and build, you name it, everything, Ayala, right. Ayala, A-Y-A-L-A, Ayala. Anyway, so he was, one, he was on the speaking circuit. He actually owns a couple car brands in the Philippines as well. I think Volkswagen and Honda are a couple others. And my partner said to me, you've got to go and speak to him. I said, I don't understand. Like, he's on stage with a panel of, like, multi-trillionaires. He's like, but he owns car brands in the Philippines. You've got to speak to him. I said, it's not going to happen. He's like, you got to speak to him. I said, all right, let me think about it. So we're sitting like at the, you know, there's probably 2,000 people in this auditorium or something in, the, in Hong Kong, and we're like right at the back. And they're like, you could see they're sort of finishing up their, 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 their presentation on stage. And he's like nudging me. He's like, you got to go, you got to go. So I was like, uh, all right, I'll try getting. Uh, as I walked down this aisle of like 2,000 people, thinking what am i going to do like you know this guy is like like a rock star in 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 um in asia and i went to the very front of the stage and i was waiting sort of at the stairs as he came down the stairs so he'd finished talking and he comes down the stairs and he's surrounded by these bodyguards and everybody's like shouting at him because everyone wants to sort of you know get in this guy's of course face. like he's a massive guy and everyone's shouting and trying to throw their business cards at him blah 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 you know 
So I, I somehow, I sort of wrangled my way in between the bodyguards. And I was like, and I remember chasing after him with the card in my hand. I said, Miss Ayala, Miss Ayala, we have Philippines' largest uh, automotive platform, online automotive platform. He stops, true story, stops, stops the 30 bodyguards. He turns around. This is actually a very good life lesson as well. Stops, turns around, looks at me. Again, there's probably about 50 people trying yeah, to scream. It's a scrum. It's a scrum. <laughs> it's literally like a rugby scrum. He stops, he turns around, looks at me in the face. He says, I've got to run to catch my plane. Do you have a card? I gave him my card. He's like, I'll be in touch. And he was? Don't jump the story, oh, okay. Tony. Sorry, sorry. Don't jump the story. He takes my card and runs off to catch his plane. And my partner was there. He's like, that's amazing. Like, he's taking your card. And he didn't take anyone else's card. Everyone's just trying to scream at him. But I was, I was quite forthright. And I said, Mr. Albert, say, oh, you know, two minutes, I'll walk with you. He's like, and he's like, I've got to catch my plane. I was like, no worry, I'll walk with you. I'll walk with you, you know. And that's when he stopped and said, you can't walk with me. I've got my bodyguards. Give me your card. The next day, we were in Hong Kong. And I was talking to my partner. And he said, oh, you know, you know, he's not going to message you. I mean, this guy's, it's like Bill Gates, literally. Yeah, this yeah. is the Bill Gates of yeah. Asia. Everyone, Everyone wants, wants a piece. piece. Everyone yeah. wants a piece. No chance, right? And we're talking about, oh, he'll never get back. He'll send one of his cronies. Nine o'clock the next morning. Nine o'clock the next morning. So he must have still been on a, either on a plane or something like, you know. I get an email to my phone. I'm in the Hong Kong hotel. I open it up. Dear Mr. Ross, thank you for your business card. Sorry, I couldn't stop and chat to you. I had to run to catch my plane. Very interested in what you have to say. Here is my right-hand man, blah, 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 blah. Here's his details. Please be in contact with him. I apologize I didn't have time again, Mr. AR. Wow. That is a life lesson. The head, head, head guy of the company didn't know who I was. Just handed him a card at this thing. Heard. That's interesting. Always looking for opportunity. Always looking for opportunity. But he took time to stop to listen, to personally email, personally email. I mean, you can imagine what this guy's going on, you know, like got going on. Yeah. Personally email me and say, I'm interested. I apologize. He apologized to me. They didn't have the time to talk to me. Here's my right-hand man. And yep. we dealt with him for six months. People, people don't understand. People say, oh, I can't get hold of him. He'll never answer my phone. I'm calling again. Bullshit. Pick up the phone, call yep. him. Chances are they'll have 10 minutes for a coffee. Yeah. Bring them something. There you go. That's my stuff. That's great. Back onto the quick fire. Alex. Let's go. Quick fire. Sorry. Favorite band. Favorite band. John Farnham. Is that a band? Favorite singer. John Farnham. Johnny Farnham. Love John Farnham. Um, actor. Actor. Larry David. Larry David. <laughs> Comedian like Fondest childhood memory. Fondest childhood memory. Probably being on, on the site, you know, with construction site. The, my grandfather's builder. It was just sort of why I was either going to do the construction game or the accounting game. Most memorable smell. Most memorable smell. Chopped liver. Chopped liver. Can't stand chopped liver. Lastly, anyone thinking of starting a business, what advice would you give them? Call me. You're going to get a lot of phone calls. That's fine. And that's what I learned from Mr. Ayala in the Philippines. You're never too big to answer a phone call. Unbelievable. Well, Rail Ross, good luck with everything. I'm sure we'll be reading more about you as you put your head above the parapet. Thank Thank you for being on Discipline. Thank you, Tony.